right, well, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight, and if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, not 2 Corinthians, but 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 20, and I want to read to you just one verse, but we're going to talk a lot around all in this chapter. Um, I think, and Anita and I talk about this quite a bit, that... uh, uh, I tend to concentrate when I'm studying the Bible. I tend to concentrate in the New Testament and, and, and teach out of the New Testament and preach out of the New Testament. But I'm here to tell you that there are a lot of good lessons that we can learn out of the Old Testament. Now, we have to keep in mind who that was written to and the accounts of that time. But still yet, I think there's a lot of good things that we can Glean from the Old Testament. And I hope to share some of those with you tonight. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I want to read one verse to you, and it's verse 17. And uh, then we'll, I'm going to give you some history. He says, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that right now that that your spirit would begin to operate in all of our lives. Lord, as I speak and as I hear you and as others hear you, God, I pray that we would all listen carefully what your spirit has to say to us that we can be better uh, followers of yours in Jesus name we pray amen give you just some brief history of King Jehoshaphat and the uh, kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel under King David the nation of Israel was a very united kingdom and uh, under David's reign they experienced a lot of uh, good or great victories in battle. And for a while, the kingdom, the Bible tells us, of of Israel and David was at rest, and they were united, and they were at rest from their enemies. But after David's son, Solomon, died around 930 B.C., things began to fall apart within the kingdom of Israel. And uh, as far as the unity and the, the peace that Israel had experienced, they, they began to lose that. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took over the reign and he began to implement a lot of heavy-handed uh, taxes and labor uh, against the people and, and onto the people. And as, the, as a result, the people revolted against him and the nation of Israel split up. And so it was during this time of this split that 10 tribes formed an alliance and they formed the northern kingdom of Israel and that was under the leadership of Jeroboam as their king. And then the two tribes that were left in the southern kingdom, Judah, were led by King Rehoboam and as a result these two nations for years, for decades, were at odds with one another. Israel and Judah had various kings during this time that they were split up as, as, a, as one nation into two nations, Judah and, and Israel. The kings were both, uh, some were good, some were bad. 
And uh, tonight's text that I read to you was probably uh, occurred around 850 B.C., the best that we can tell. So it occurred some 80 years after the kingdom split up. Okay, Now, Jehoshaphat, king over the southern kingdom, Judah, and his contemporary, uh, King Ahab, who was king over the northern kingdom during this time, they ruled from around 872 B.C. to around 848 B.C. For much of Jehoshaphat's rule, he did the right things in the eyes of the Lord, but the Bible tells us that he, com- he failed to completely tear down the pagan shrines from the land. Uh, if you look there in, in chapter 20 of, of uh, Second Chronicles, verses 32 and 33, we kind of see a pretty good picture of what Jehoshaphat was. It says in verse 32, he walked in the ways of his father Asa. Now Asa was a great king and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed and the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their fathers. So even though he was a good king, he still, he he wasn't quite right uh, in every way. Now Ahab, the king of the the northern kingdom in Israel, uh, he was, the Bible tells us, an extremely evil king. Uh, He married into uh, a lady by the name of Jezebel. And we know that Jezebel was a non-Jew and an extremely wicked and evil woman. Uh, She convinced her husband, Ahab, to uh, begin to worship the Baal, the idol Baal. And uh, he, uh, because of his continued disobedience to God... Uh, the nation under his reign suffered greatly, and especially uh, there, they went through three years of famine. Uh, and it was all because of the evil influence, or mostly the evil influence of his wife, Jezebel. Now, the, the lesson, that, this isn't my sermon, but the lesson I got out of that is, men, we need to be careful who we marry. Because <laughs> it can have far-reaching consequences. Ladies, you too, by the way. Uh, so if you look over in 1 Kings chapter 16, and I don't know why, but this seems like this thing's bumping and popping a lot to me. Okay. Let's see if that fixes it. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 through 33 give us a picture of Ahab. It says in verse 30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He did not consider it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Not a very good report on Ahab. Well, so Ahab and Jehoshaphat were contemporaries. They ruled and reigned at the same time, just over different kingdoms. Now, war, the, the, the topic of uh, chapter 20 in Second Chronicles is that war is declared on Judah and Jehoshaphat. 
the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, which were from Mount Sur, declared war on Judah. And if you'll look in the first part of, of this chapter, it says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And when Jehoshaphat heard this, he was terrified. Initially, he, he, he was terrified, and he sought the Lord for guidance, and he ordered everyone in Judah to fast. You look at there in verse 3. He declared a fast. And then not only that, but he also resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed this fast. So he began to pray and, he, and, and seek the Lord as to what to do. After he prayed, you can turn over to uh, verse um, 14. There was a, a, a man by the name of Jehazel that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. And when the, after Jehoshaphat prayed, and we're going to break all that down in just a minute, but after he prayed, the Spirit of the Lord came upon this man, Jehazel, and Jehazel spoke what the Lord wanted them to do in verses 15 through 17. And we'll look at that too in just a minute. And that's part of my text. This is why uh, it is important to listen to the Holy Spirit when we're praying because it is the key to our success. Listening to the Holy Spirit is the key to our success and victory. Now, the title of, of the message is uh, Take Up Your Positions. And, f and f for just a minute, I mean, positions are, are very important. Uh, in order for a team, you, you know, you look at a, any sports team. Let's just take a sports team, football, basketball, baseball, whatever you want to say. In order for that team to be effective, every player must play their position. And they must do it well. In fact, if someone doesn't play their position or they get out of position, I especially think about this in football. Um, it happens to my team all the time, the Cowboys uh, from Oklahoma State. They got, a, they got a defensive back who gets out of position, and next thing you know, somebody's throwing a bomb down the field and they're scoring a, the, the opponent's scoring a touchdown because they got out of position. Usually bad things happen in, in sports when you get out of position, but usually bad things happen to us when we get out of the right positions that we're supposed to be in. And I'll talk about that in a minute. We have to put ourselves in the right position to see God do great things in our lives. And, and I want to share with you four positions that Jehoshaphat and Judah took up. And we should also take up these same positions. So let's read our, part of our scripture verse again. It says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. The first position that we need to take up when we're facing an enemy or when we're facing a situation that we cannot handle is an obvious position. And that is the position of prayer. Okay? Prayer is the obvious position. Let's read Jehoshaphat's prayer. It begins in verse 6, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6. He says this, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
They have lived in it and they have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or the plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Now, but now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came out from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. So our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Prayer is a vital component of every battle and every trial and every distress and every trouble and every circumstance that you're going to face. You have to position yourself with prayer. I know sometimes we dismiss it because we think, well, last time I prayed it didn't work. Nothing happened. Or we dismiss it because we think, this is such a small thing. I can handle this myself. I can make this decision myself. And so we, we dismiss prayer. And as a result, we find ourselves in a difficult situation. But I want to tell you, never discount the importance of prayer. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord was his first move. He resolved to inquire. When you're facing a trouble, you need to resolve to inquire of the Lord. Now, I was, uh, when I was, I've, I've been reading this and studying for this for some days now. And I, 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 I noticed as I read that prayer, and I read it over several times, I noticed that there was some components of his prayer that I thought, well, wow, this, this could be good, a good model for me when I go to pray. And I, I hope and pray that it's a good model for you also. The four components of Jehoshaphat's prayer are this. The first is, he recognized who God was. He spent time in his prayer recognizing who God is and who God was. You can look at that in that verse 6 where he, where he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. He recognized who God was. You need, when you go to prayer, the first thing you need to do is recognize who God is. Recognize he is the great I am. Recognize that he is the almighty. He is the one that no one else can compare to. He is the father in heaven. My question is for you is who do you recognize God to be? Once you figure that out, then you tell him in your prayer who you recognize him to be. When we pray, our first order of business is to recognize who we are praying to. He is the God of heaven and earth. He is the ruler over all. He is the powerful and mighty one. He is the one that no one can stand against. What do you declare God to be? The second thing that I noticed is Jehoshaphat spent some time in review he began to review what God had done in verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9. Uh, I'm not going to read those again, but, but he, he, he kind of identifies all the things that, that, that God had done for Israel to bring them out of Egypt. 
When we pray, after we recognize who God is, we should review what God has done. Review. He has saved you. He's healed you. He's kept you. He's loved you. He's given you life and breath. He's filled you with his spirit. What has God done for you? When you pray, review what he's done and thank him. This isn't for God's benefit. This is for your benefit. This is for my benefit. Okay? Jehoshaphat did a quick review of what God did to bring Judah to the place they currently were. When you pray, take a few moments to review what God has done in your life. Review how you've gotten to where you are. Review his goodness. Review his mercy. Review his love for you. Reviewing what God has done gives us faith and hope that he will do it again. And that was what Jehoshaphat was trying to emphasize. The third thing I noticed was that he reminded himself of God's promise. He presented his current situation and reminded God of his promise. Now, Jehoshaphat was reminding himself and God, although I don't think God needed reminding, but Jehoshaphat, it doesn't hurt, you know, to say, hey, God, you know, you said this. <laughs> uh, and, but he was reviewing that God had given them the promised land and that that was now threatened by these invading armies. When you come to God in prayer, remind yourself of his promises. God, <clears throat> excuse me. God has promised many blessings for the child of God. So don't be afraid to repeat the promises back to God in your time of need. Okay. The promise of salvation, the promise of healing, the promise of restoration, the promise of supply, the promise of strength. And here's the, here's the problem is too many of us have forgotten what God's promises are. So what promises have God have you forgotten that you need to be reminded about? Okay. The fourth thing that I noticed in this is the, and the last thing was he made his request. He made his plea to God. God is ready to grant your petition. You just have to request it. Okay. He's ready. He wants to do it. When the invading armies were coming down on Judah, Jehoshaphat's petition was simply this. Verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. That's from the New Living Translation. God knows what you have need of before you even ask, is what Jesus said. But you are still to ask him for your need. Do you need strength? Ask him. Do you need healing? Ask him. Do you need salvation? Ask him. Request it. Do you need your marriage restored? Do you need answers to a decision that you're trying to make? What is your request that you're going to make of God today? These four, you know, and when I was, when I was studying this and, and I thought, well, I'm going to, and I write a blog and I try to do it three or four times a week. But I sat down that morning that I was studying it and I wrote a quick blog about recognize, review, remind, and request. And uh, I got a comment on, on the blog and, and I just wanted to read it to you because this person said, I recognize who God is, our Father, which art in heaven. And I reviewed what God has done. And they quote Psalm 71, 6. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. And then they said, and my, I'm reminded of God's promise, Isaiah 46 and 4. And even to your old age, I am he. 
And even to gray hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. And then they said, I requested, my request is right out of Psalm 71, 9. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength to this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. That's God's promise. When faced with uncertainty and when faced with fear and trouble, we need to take up the position of prayer. It is your prayer time. In your prayer time, you want to make sure, though, that you're hearing from the Spirit of the Lord. Notice how that at the end of the prayer, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon Jehazel to uh, give them a word on what to do. And he began to speak exactly what God wanted them to say or wanted to say to them and them to do. This is where Jehoshaphat had a one-upsman on his contemporary Ahab. Ahab got into so much trouble because he would not listen to the spirit of the Lord. He would not listen to the prophets that came to him and told him the truth. And, and uh, he, he didn't listen to them. There's an occasion in, in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 18, if you want to just flip back there real quick. Verses 1 through 8, where that uh, even though that... Now, Jehoshaphat's daughter married uh, Ahab's uh, son, so they were kind of in-laws. And they kind of hung out together, I guess, and he'd go up occasionally and see him. Well, in chapter 18, it says, Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle uh, for him and people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go down with me against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel, Ahab, brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give you Give it to the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Jehoshaphat immediately recognized these were 400 yes men. That they were just sitting there waiting around to tell Ahab what he wanted to hear. And so Jehoshaphat, as soon as he heard that, he says, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? These guys were prophets, but they weren't prophets of the Lord. I tell you who I think they were. I think they were prophets of the Asherah pole. Uh, if you remember when uh, Elijah met, uh, challenged the 450 prophets of Baal, there were actually 850 prophets there. 450 were the prophets of Baal. 400 were the prophets of the Asherah uh, pole, and, uh, which is just a different god. And Elijah challenged the 450 prophets of Baal. And you know the story. The fire didn't come down when, and the and Fire came down for Elijah, didn't come down for the prophets of Baal, and Elijah killed them all. But the, pro, the 400 prophets of the Asherah pole, I believe, uh, didn't accept the challenge, and so they kind of laid back and watched it all. And now here they reemerge here, and we see that uh, 
they're telling Ahab, yes, go against him. And then Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of? And the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one man whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him <laughs> because he never prophesies anything good about me, <laughs> but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. So I hate him. He never says anything good. Uh, and the king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called his officials to bring Micaiah. So they go get him. He, and they, when they tell him, they say, hey, look, the king wants you to prophesy on whether or not they should go down to Ramoth Gilead and, and make war with them. Uh, all the 400 prophets said that they should. So you need to man up and just say, yeah. And so when he first comes there, he says that he will. He says that you should. But then the king says to him, uh, he says, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills and the sheep without a shepherd. And essentially, Ahab, you're going to die. And he does. Okay. So uh, the, the point of all that is this, is we have to be careful that we, that when we're praying, that we're hearing from the spirit of the Lord. Okay. Not just what we want to hear. The second position to take up is the position of praise. And I love this. I love this one. Let's look at Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 18 and 19. After uh, Jehazel told them what to do, uh, Jehoshaphat, it says in verse 18, bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kothites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And you look on down in verse 21 and 22. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor of his holiness. As they went out of, at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Now, the position of praise is a vital position to our success and to our victory. God began his work when, the, when praise began to flow. That's when God began to show his hand, his mighty hand in destroying the armies. As soon as they started singing and praising the Lord. You want to ambush your enemy? Praise God. If you want to ambush your problem, Praise the Lord. If you want to ambush your distress, praise the Lord. If you want to ambush your trouble, begin and start praising God in everything that you, that part of your life and that happens. Now, you don't praise him for the situation, but you do praise him for the splendor of his holiness. You do praise him for his enduring love. You do praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with every bone in your body is what Psalm 150, or I'm sorry, 35 and 10 says. Praise him heaven, earth and seas and all that move in them. Psalm 69, 34. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all the armies of heaven. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you twinkling stars. Praise him skies above. Praise him vapors high above the clouds. Praise him for his son. Praise him for salvation. Praise him for eternal life. The psalmist declared in Psalm 106 too, who can ever praise him enough? 
The answer was no one can praise him enough. And then he says on in Psalm 111.10, praise him forever. Just praise the Lord. Are you starting to get the picture here about this position of praise? Praise is so important. If you want more, uh, and I don't really have time, but uh, I'm going to do it anyways in Revelation chapter, chapter 4 and chapter 5. I just love reading these verses. Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. For from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor, wealth, power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the position of praise. We should. And one of the things that I noticed here is there's a difference between worship and praise. If you notice that that it says Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Israel fell down in worship before the Lord. Then the Levites came along and they stood up and praised the Lord. We bow down to worship. We stand up to praise. When you're ready to win the battle over whatever it is in your life, whatever the situation is, take up the position of praise. And you'll see a difference. The third position we're to take up is the position of participation. We have to participate. Now, I want you to notice that God was going to fight the battle. And he says so in our text. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. However, (laughs) I put that in. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give to you. God was going to fight the battle for them, but they still had to do something. Okay, they still had to participate in some way. Participating in what God is doing involves praise and prayer, the first two. uh, But it also involves this idea of standing firm. They presented themselves to the enemy and stood firm. They weren't cowered down. You see, sometimes we have to position ourselves in the right place to see the deliverance that God is going to bring to us. Judah had to go out and still face the enemy. They weren't going to stay in their tents while God did all the work. God did all the work, but they were going to be out there to see it. See it being done. God destroyed the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Sur. And Judah also had to, not only did they have to go out and witness this, but they also had to go out and then gather in the plunder. For three days it took them. There was so much stuff. It took them three days to gather all this stuff up, the spoils of victory. They had to participate in the battle to enjoy the victory. You have to participate in the battle to enjoy the victory. Allow God to fight it for you, but you've got to be there with prayer and you've got to be there with praise and you've got to be there standing firm before him 
and uh, before your enemy. This is like the faith without works. Faith without works, James says, is dead. We have to do something. The fourth position that we have to take up is, the, is to place our eyes on the Lord. Place your eyes on the Lord. The very last words of, his pray, of, of uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer, uh, I mean, it, it speaks to me because I'm telling you, I have been in this situation many times. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. I don't know what to do, Lord, but my eyes are upon you. When there's nothing else for you to do, just look to the Lord. Just look at him. This represents our faith when we look to God. Jehoshaphat told the people of Judah, you have to have faith in the Lord, your God, and you'll be upheld. Verse 20. Looking to Jesus, Paul said, the author and finisher of our faith. We to look to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. When Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water, as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was fine. But when he got to looking at other things, looking at the turmoil, looking at the waves, looking at the, the things going on, he began to sink. Got to keep your eyes on the Lord. The people of Israel, even, when they were uh, being bitten by the snakes that came into the camp, they lifted up a pole, a serpent on a rod, on a pole, and they said, look to the pole and live. Look and live. We're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our... We're looking to the cross. We're looking to the cross. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Excuse me, don't worry about the surrounding enemy, but keep focused on the Lord. Uh, David said, you know, I look to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, no one else, okay? When Jehoshaphat won the battle, it took three days to gather up the plunder. They came to the place of the battle and looked down over the desert and they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. If you look at verse 24, it says, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. This was, the Bible tells us this was called the Valley of Baraka. And God gave them victory there. And I got something out of this. It's just kind of a side note to the whole lesson is that sometimes the victory is coming in the valley. Okay? It's going to come when you're in the valley. When you take up your positions of prayer, praise, participation, and placing your eyes on the Lord, you'll look down on your enemy or your problem and you'll see nothing but carnage because God has just destroyed it all and taken care of everything. All right? And when you look, commit yourselves to take up your position, the position of prayer, praise, participation, and placing your eyes on the Lord, you will have victory and there will be great rejoicing just as there was in this account in uh, verses 27. Now, my question for you is this. Are you ready to take up your position so God can deliver you from the enemy or from the problem or from the turmoil or the distress or whatever it is that you're going through right now? God says, I'm ready to deliver you. Take up your position. 
of prayer, praise, participation, and keeping your eyes or placing your eyes on me. Let's stand.